Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, aholics? Yes, you. What the fuck, aholics? What's happening? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF. Greg Kinnear is here. Greg Kinnear, he's been around a while. What do you know about him? I always knew that he came up a different way than most people in the uh, in the showbiz, like, you know, like it wasn't the standard career. So I, I remember I auditioned for his job at later when he was leaving. Uh, he's got a new movie out called Brian Banks. It opens nationwide tomorrow, August 9th. A lot of things happening tomorrow. A lot of things happening August 9th. For instance, uh, season three of Glow premieres tomorrow, August 9th on Netflix. That's right. Third season, 10 episodes. I'm in it. Allison Bree, Betty Gilpin, and the rest of the gals. It's back tomorrow. Hope you like it. I thought I uh, did good work, and I thought the shows looked great, and it's a new story. We're in Vegas. Anyways, it's back. It's nice now. You only have to wait about a year in between seasons. So right when you're about to forget it existed at all, you can rewatch the first season today and, and the second season. Yeah, rewatch both seasons today and then get geared up for tomorrow's premiere or the dropping or the uh, delivery of the third season of glow that happens tomorrow sort of trust the movie i'm in that lynn shelton directed me michaela watkins toby huss jillian bell john bass sort of trust is opening in more theaters this weekend holy shit that's that's uh, I did not anticipate that. You can go to sortoftrust.com to see where it's playing near you. I believe it's playing in my hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Guild Theater, which was the art theater that we went to sometimes to see the art movies. It wasn't Don Poncho's. Don Poncho's was the revival house. Went there more. Don Poncho's was a little theater right across from university, from the University of New Mexico, and had the double features, like every day or every other day, different double feature, old movies. That was the fucking best. And then it went out of business, and I think they made it a fucking laundromat. A laundromat. Not even a restaurant or a bar. Just, you know, pull the plug on the history of cinema and put some washing machines in there. Depressing. But the Guild has been plugging along for a long time. I don't even know if it closed and came back or... Whether it's always been there, it's up on Central, up near Knob Hill, and uh, my movie is playing there in Albuquerque. So, hometown folks, go check it out. 
I will be at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon this weekend, tomorrow and Saturday. And then I'm going to be on Colbert on Monday. And then I'll be in Dallas, Austin, and Houston, Texas, August 22nd through 24th. If you want to get tickets for the big special taping, that's going to be at the Schubert Theater in Boston, Massachusetts, October 12th, two shows, 7 o'clock and 10 p.m. Go to wtfpod.com slash tour for, uh, for those dates and for links to those shows. Pow! I just shit my pants. Justcoffee.coop. Haven't done that in a while. See, some of you have been here a long time, man. Some of you have been here a long time, almost 10 years. We've been together, some of us, me and you and you and, and that guy over there. Yeah, you didn't know he was into it. And that, that lady, she loves my show. Look around. Yep, her with the headset on. Some of you have been here a long time. And uh, some of you know me pretty well. But uh, tomorrow's a big day. It, it, it's just another day, but it's a big day. In that if I don't drink or use drugs today... Tomorrow, I will have 20 years of sobriety. I'm not saying I'm not nuts. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't have my problems. I'm not saying that uh, I've been a saint, but I am saying I've been sober. I have not drank in any booze or taken any drugs unprescribed for 20 fucking years. Isn't that crazy? Maybe I should share a little bit about that story because I get a lot of email from people about sobriety. So, 20 years. 1988 was the first time I was in rehab. I was in rehab in 1988 at the care unit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I left Los Angeles, California after being here about a year. I'd driven here after college uh, on a Coke bender from New Mexico. Got to LA, moved to Culver City. Ended up, you know, on a fluke. I got into the uh, comedy store, worked there for, I don't know, seven, eight months, did a lot of cocaine, coked myself into psychosis, ran away from L.A., being chased by things that only I understood and only I could see. But I knew what was going on. I got my passport renewed and I prepared. (laughs) Yeah, I was out of my fucking mind. And when I got back to New Mexico, I checked in. That was 1988. 28-day rehab, got clean. That was the first time I got clean. And I moved back to Boston where I went to school and I started my comedy career over again. So 1988, I got sober and didn't stay sober. I got 20 years, so it took me about 30 years to get 20 in a row. That's how it goes. It just got ugly, folks. You know, it gets ugly. You go, I get a year here, 14 months there. I gradually ease my way back. I was in a marriage that I was not happy in, but I don't know if I would have been happy anywhere. Uh, she wouldn't tolerate my drug use. She had known I had a struggle with it. So I'd use on the road or I'd think I'd get away with it. I would start on like a, on Monday. You know, the, that was when the Luna Lounge was, maybe Sunday or Monday. So I'd, I'd be the early bird at my Coke dealer's house, Hammerhead. I'd go down the Lower East Side, down there at 7th and like B, upstairs to see Hammerhead. I'd get there like 5.30 before he even you know, got the shit ready. Still light out, closing the blinds. And I'd load up and I'd think that, man, I'll get a half a gram. I'll knock it out before 10 and uh, no one will be the wiser. I'll go do my show. I'll go to sleep. What was I thinking? 
I remember one time, did I ever tell this story? I'm sure I have. I went there to get the early bird special at my Coke dealer, Hammerhead's house. And the guy who he got it from, this little Latino guy showed up, an old man who looked like he was about 70, just showed up and handed Hammerhead a wad of tinfoil. He opened up and there was this beautiful, shiny, flaky snowball of blow. And he's like... uh, yeah, that's and I said that's it. That's the that's the stuff that you get. Let's do some of that. And I remember doing a line of that and just feeling my brain peel away. Just like it just it, this tingly feeling went from the center of my head all the way back over my brain down my spine and and it made everything so clear and everything popped open and everything was perfect. And I said, "Why don't you sell that?" And he said, because no one would leave me alone. And then he dumped that thing into a bag of shake and shit and cut from the day before and crunched it up. It was heartbreaking. Should have known I had a problem then, huh? How sad seeing that nice chunk of Coke be grounded up with garbage. But anyways, let's not get too nostalgic. Point being, I was in a marriage I wasn't happy with. I was fucking around. I was doing drugs. I would lay in bed. There's nothing worse than laying in bed with somebody who loves you and who you're lying to and you're on blow and you're laying there and your heart is about to explode. You can't stop it from beating so fast. You don't know what the fuck is going to happen. You don't want to wake her up, but you kind of do because you're, you're afraid that you're going to die. So you might want to wake her up and say, like, I'm dying. I fucked up. That's a popular apology kind of, from the alcoholic drug users. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dying. I fucked up again. I fucked up. But no, you just, you just ride it out, laying there, sweating, with your heart pounding next to a sleeping person who loves you, just pounding away your heart. And the sad thing is, is that it would be easier. It would be easier to have a heart attack and die than get clean or get out of the situation you're in that makes you unhappy. Those are the thoughts. Please, Let's end this shit. Enough already. So how it happened for me was, uh, and this is not orthodox and it's not even correct, but I was sweaty, I was chubby, I'd given up on my career, I was doing local segments for a local TV show in Manhattan, I'd do Conan every once in a while, but I was bloated, I was bitter, I was resentful, and I couldn't stop doing blow. I was at the Comedy Cellar, talking to, I believe, Brian's, Brian Scalero, maybe. Sweaty, bloated, drinking, probably some resentful diatribe or explaining the history of comedy to somebody. I think it all, it all started with Pryor. Or fuck that guy. Why is he, he doesn't deserve to be on the TV. And some woman, almost like a vision, walked up to me. Beautiful, beautiful woman. I'd never really seen her before. Maybe I didn't notice. She just walked up to me and she goes, you're Mark Marin, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. She goes, what happened to you? What happened to you? Huh? What? Huh? She was beautiful. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you look all fucked up. You're all bloated and fat and sweaty. You look like you need help. Do you need help? I'm like, what? What do you want? She goes, I can help you get sober. And I'm like, I don't know. But she was beautiful, man. So I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah. You want to talk about it? I'm like, yep. And I said, you mean like meetings and shit? She goes, yep. You mean like God and shit? She's like, yep. And I'm like, eh. 
but she was beautiful. So I walked with her for like 30 blocks. She laid it down, how it works. She was a sober person three or four years at that point. We got to her house and like a fucking jerk, douchebag, I bought a fucking can of Foster's on the way. I had a joint and I sat there in her goddamn apartment with this sober girl who's trying to lay it down for me. And I drank that beer and I'm like, just bother you. Gotta smoke this weed like a fucking idiot. But uh, I fell in love with her, of course. I was going to follow her anywhere. So we started going to the things. Now I'm going to break the tradition here because this is what it's about. What I did, it took me a few weeks, maybe a month or two to to get, you know, to get straight. I started going to meetings, started going to meetings with her. I would go with her anywhere, anywhere. I was fucking crazy about that person. But she got me straight, man, and she got me focused, and she, you know, she knew the program inside and out, and that's what I needed at that point in time. You can get sober however you want, but this is how I did it. I went to at least one meeting, one to three meetings a day for about a year and a half, two years, and I met dudes in the program. I met women in the program. I became a regular meetings, and I just went. I was told that if you put your sobriety first, the rest of it will follow. And also, once you start getting a day count going, you don't want to lose that fucking thing. It becomes competitive. I'm not giving this up. And I was a miserable fuck. I was angry. When I shared in meetings, I was like, fuck you guys. Fuck this meeting. Fuck this program. But I don't want to fucking drink, so fuck it. I was that guy. And people would come up to me after and say, you sound good, man. You're in the right place. Good for you, man. You sound great. Keep coming back. And I'm like, you fuckers misunderstood. Got a sponsor, picked a huge asshole because I figured, yeah, they tell you, you know, get somebody who has what you want. And I'm like, well, that guy's an asshole. So he kept his personality in the middle of this cult like behavior. I'll take him. And he was an asshole, but he was a, he kind of had an interesting program, you know? I went a little fuck crazy. I went a little food crazy. You know, you can go all kinds of crazy just as long as you don't go cocaine crazy or crack crazy or dope crazy or booze crazy. He was like, go ahead, fuck your life away. Do whatever you got to do. If you don't drink, not orthodox, but it got me through. And I just stayed with it. When I moved out here with her, 2002, uh, on a deal from Fox that didn't go anywhere, wrote the script, made a little money, enough to move, enough to get us set up out here. I was nobody. I was angry. I was resentful. I was bitter. I was frustrated about comedy, about my career, everything else. But I was fucking sober. Obviously, because of the nature of that relationship, you know, we locked in. I took a hostage. I wasn't going to let her go. We got out here. I married her in 2004. It was a volatile relationship. I was a complete fucking asshole. I was mean. I didn't fuck around on her. Well, who cares? You know, I melted that thing down because I couldn't handle it. So I lost that marriage. She left me. But because of that divorce and because of what happened afterwards and because of my panic and fear and darkness and sadness, I went into my garage and I started doing this show. That story's pretty public. All I know is I stayed sober through two divorces, through near bankruptcy, through all kinds of shit. And a lot of people, the last 10 years of my 20, you've heard it here. But by the time I started this podcast, I'd let go of any sort of hope that anything would happen for me in the career that I spent my life pursuing. And because I was able to let it go, which I did, it was heartbreaking, but at some point, 
you have to realize what's delusional and what is. And I, I, I had surrendered that. And I think because I let all that stuff go and, you know, I wasn't good at humility, but life did it for me. And I don't drink and I don't use drugs and things have happened for me. And now I just, you know, have to remember to be fucking grateful and to, you know, talk like this to people that it is possible. I don't know how you want to do it. That's how I did it. I still do it that way. I'm still a relatively godless dude, but you know, the steps work in my life. I understood it from my own, from my own point of view. I try to help other people. And when I get letters from you people, I try to respond to them. It's just possible. I mean, it doesn't mean everything's going to work out. I mean, life's fucking hard, but you know, it's not going to be any easier with drugs or fucking booze. It just isn't. And eventually you find your level. It's crazy town for about five years, but who gives a fuck? How horrible is it to be out there? You know? But I just want to thank you people, you know, for being there for me because a lot of this is about sharing. And I got to be honest with you that, you know, really the very nature of what I do here, the very nature of how I do this show is the core idea of recovery in a 12-step way, really. The basic idea of staying sober in that program is that if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, reach out to another alcoholic or drug addict and try to help them. Talk to somebody. Get out of yourself. That was really the nature of how this podcast saved my life at the beginning. It wasn't so much I was talking to drug addicts and alcoholics, but I was getting out of myself and listening to other people's stories the best I could. I'm not saying I didn't interject, but the process and the act of talking to other people gets me out of my own head and into theirs. It teaches me empathy, moves me. I'm able to you know, take in someone else's life. But the important lesson was like, I'm not thinking about me. And I learned how to be empathetic because it wasn't second nature for me. So really, the thing that changed my life was not only AA, but the sort of one of the tools I learned there, I applied right here on these mics. And that was how I evolved whatever the fuck it is I do in here. And I couldn't have done it without you people. And I'm happy to hear from you. And thank you. Thank you for my sobriety. Thank you for my success. And um, I hope you're okay. So I talked to Greg Kinnear. And uh, it was it was interesting to see him. You know, he, like he took a different route and uh, I was curious about it. And I had some weird questions to ask him about something very specific. You'll hear that. His, uh, his new movie, Brian Banks, opens nationwide tomorrow, August 9th. And uh, this is uh, me talking to uh, Greg Kinnear here in the, uh, it's actually a, a bedroom. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needs 
needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Whoa, look at this. I know, dude. I don't, I haven't listened to that yet. You know what? I, what? I have, oh my gosh, just seeing a Maxwell C90. Oh, I thought you were referring to what's on it. Uh, just well, I'll tape. get to that in a second. But <laughs> seeing a Maxwell C90 tape, I yeah. mean, this brings me back. Right. Uh, I think we're about, about the same three age. months apart. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, me too. And that was the top end. That's when you really wanted to you know, get the good tape. That the was go- the good one. Yeah. That's the gold, baby. That's right. The gold, where you're making that mixtape and you really want it to be great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I found that. I haven't listened to that. I, I kind of uh, heisted it. I, I clipped it from, uh, I did a documentary from Mike Binder on the Comedy Store, and that was in Mitzi's office, and I just, I took it. Who did the recording? I don't fucking know. Was it just in some, during a show? No, yeah, it must have been at the Comedy Store. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just says Sam Kennison... Uh, trying to provoke Tamayo. Now, Tamayo Otsuki, I lived in a house up on the hill that Mitzi owned, the owner of the store, and she lived in the house, and they used to go out. So this has got to be pretty... Wow. It, did she know you took it? No, she's dead. Oh, no. Did did whoever was there... Well, they, they do know now. They, yeah. they're, they're slowly learning that I've taken... Right now, some, in yeah. this broadcast. Yes. <laughs> They're slowly learning that. Because when Letterman was on, I showed him this. I, I took this, too. This is Mitzi's driver's license, which was just on the floor. Wow. But it's like really, uh, I, I don't know, it kind of gives me the the willies in a good way. So you steal shit. No, I don't. <laughs> if that place, Yeah, you do. <laughs> a couple of things I stole. I mean, but they, they were, no one was going to... I'm curating a collection. No, I right? understand. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. You, you, I'm not by nature a stealer. But it was like, I don't know, the the history of that place, in my mind, it's important that I have these things. Someone's got to take them. I, uh, I did a, a radio show when I was a kid and, and overseas, and yeah. uh, I ha- used to have all of my, sh- some of my shows actually still on cassette, and at some point just in my life, I, I lost them. I don't oh, have one. No. Yeah, I lost those. Before they were digitized. Couldn't yeah, never it. got it digitized, and also- the one of the great recordings of my life was my dad interviewing me. He got me a little Sony recorder, you know, where you hit, you know, play and, and record, record at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And I was nine years old, and he's like, "So, Greg, uh, tell me about your day." And I, well, I was out by the lake, and I saw a turtle. And we had this great interview. I mean, it was like yeah. a, really an unforgettable interview. And, yeah. I, and and I left the cassette with my dad, and I always knew he had it. Right. And I came back one time, I was talking to my mom, hey, where's the, where's yeah. the I want to hear that, I want to hear that. Like, and I put it on, and it's Garrison Keillor, Lake Wobegon days recording, and uh, I realize that I've been snuffed out. Yeah, and the recording, And I forgot to remove the little tabs that would have made it a permanent right. recording. Right, you got to do that. You got to. And then you. And Did then, you do that for that? I don't know if this is done, but I used to do it. And then, like you know, uh, oh, they're no, they're there. You got to take those off. Like man. I also have to find a fucking cassette recorder to play it on. Right. <laughs> there's a couple of things. And that, there's that. <laughs> a couple of things that have to happen. They're not really around anymore. 
But uh, yeah, you used to do that. You used to pop them out. But then if push, you know, if you really, you put tape over it. Yeah, you, that's true. You it's, could just put tape it, over yeah, it and record right over it. That's true. <laughs> so I have a funny memory of you that uh, doesn't involve you directly. Okay. And I, I need to validate it. I need uh, I need uh, I need it to be confirmed. I um when you left later, I was one. I guest hosted for two days. I I, I interviewed uh, Roger Ebert, uh, Robert Loja, David O. Russell. Wow! And uh, you got better guests than I did. <laughs> Walters, what's her name? Mary, uh, Lisa Ann Walters. Yeah. Yeah. But on the set, you so know, essentially, you did a week. I did, yeah, I did four shows, and I was not uh, great at it. I, I I interviewed like this. Then there was no jokes. I didn't carry that. You know, I was very involved with connecting with the person. I don't. Right. I don't know what happened. Roger Ebert was snippy with me. Oh, hurt why? my feelings. Who the hell knows? He was a cranky. But I was trying to connect. Nobody with him. seemed to like to go into that little stage. I don't know what it was. It wasn't you. It was a cursed place. Really? I think so. I. I, you know, I think that a lot of them would come off the Tonight Show and then they'd be walked down that hallway at NBC and they'd have to take a left and go to stage nine or whatever we were. And by the time they got down there, it was like, all right, what do you want to ask me? <laughs> but here's what I wanted to know. There was a, I remember waiting to go on stage and there was this like huge glob of gum. Did you used to take the gum out of your mouth and stick it on the wall? That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> like and it was one of those things that just became a thing and it was just this huge mound of of gum that no one fucked with i i, I don't know if that was i now wrapped them in tissue that's if not... you might have noticed when i sat down here <laughs> i don't know if it was policy with you like don't touch the mound no i uh, i guess they just left it up there but i i it does sound right but i don't know <laughs> it's, it's right yeah I don't yeah. think you have to be embarrassed about that. I'm not. Your... I'm honestly not embarrassed, and this is going to be a horrible, horrible uh, yeah. uh, job for you because honestly, I have. I don't know when it happened exactly, yeah. but I have like little bits and pieces that are very clear to me, extremely clear, like talking about yeah. s- the Maxwell tapes. Kid stuff. Uh, but then there's other parts that are unclear and a little dark for me. So I, I don't remember the, the dark? gum, but well, not, I just mean like, I, it's, uh, oh, I don't mean, remember. Oh, oh, right. And, and, and that would be an example where I'm like, that's, I'm not joking. That sounds right. Yeah. But I don't actually remember before every show it later, taking a big glob of gum and sticking it on the wall well, the glob on the wall was big it was probably just a regular piece in your mouth it, it was a it habit. turned in no i yeah. understand i guess when you get into a show like that and i've noticed this it's just uh even talking to letterman you don't remember i mean right. it's just like every day right you don't know conversations you had you're just showing up for work and there's another person sitting there and you've got the cards and you go totally i mean i i did that show i think for about a year and a half that was it yeah yeah i didn't do it uh for longer than that, it was about a year, less than a year and a half, yeah. actually. And I, I had gotten actually, I got as good as it gets, which was the time when I went in to Don Olmeyer, yep, who was running the show, who yeah. was the big dog. Right. And I literally went to his office. You know, once again, I had the nine-year-old voice. <laughs> Hi, Don. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and had to uh, sort of ask him if maybe I, I could could. Uh, move out because I'd been doing movies and and uh, and trying to do a talk show and it, it was just madness. Well, this is a weird thing. It's like I remember well, I mean we can go back, but I remember when you were on Talk Soup and you know, I found you immediately irritating. Thank you. Yeah, and then <laughs> but 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 why a number. Wiser people 
people who I respected comedically took a liking to you. I just didn't, I didn't understand what you were doing initially. And then people were like, you know, you should really watch it. He's an odd, funny guy. And then I, I, I grew to like you very much. And, but I don't know where you came from. I don't know what you, you, know, you just appeared on the show business landscape, almost fully formed. What, uh, what, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? You, you seem a uh, kind of. I'm from uh, from Indiana originally. That makes sense. Yeah. What sure. part? I'm from a, a little town called Logan Sport, which is up near Fort Wayne, uh-huh. a couple hours north of Indianapolis. Lived there till I was until uh, uh, I was about nine. Yeah. And uh, and then I was in uh, uh, D.C. for a few years, like three years. My, my dad uh, worked to the ended, ended up working at the State Department. We were overseas for a lot of years. Was he a lifer over there? He wasn't a lifer. He he started working for the State Department in uh, the seventies, and and he he had had a business in in the Midwest for many years, uh, you know, with his father. What was that? And, well, the big they had a clothing store and they had a vending business. Vending machines. Yeah. Oh, so did did you have to go service the vending machines? I I didn't really. He didn't really bring me with him didn't to bring that. In. No, I I remember a couple of times where we got a call late at night, and yeah. he had to grab a uh, like a shotgun and say, "I'll be home later." Come and, on, yeah, because they had a few. They would the main uh, place where they kept and all the storage would get robbed once in a while, and so uh, he would of the vending machines. Yeah, or the, of what went into the vending. What machine. was it? Mostly candy. It was candy and like little gooey heart stopping uh uh you know sort of spongy things yeah. and and uh rolls and stuff like that sandwiches coffee oh, the so whole he, mix everything. he had a bunch of different machines he had a lot and they and then he just had them in places yeah they, a couple they would, of guys go out get quarters that's right and yeah. you'd have to they'd go collect uh you know you'd have to go collect i think every 48 hours they'd go collect and they had them it was all about location yeah. sort of like a starbucks today sure. where are you well yeah. if you're down at the gm plant where they're you know putting on building hubcaps that was a great spot right you had a big crowd and if you were uh you know otherwise you got oh i'm by the way i'm i'm missing the big one what and you'll appreciate this yeah tobacco oh he had cigarette machines yeah nice yeah yeah. Well, that's a good business. Yeah. I don't know if it exists that much anymore if I think about it. They're around. They have very complex ones at the airport where you can buy like a car. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Like Those ones where you can get like an iPhone yeah. 10. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That is always strange. And, and there are, uh, aside from the airport though- I mean, a bowling alley. Like, I guess if you go to like a bowling alley, you'll maybe see. Are but even those, around? I don't know. Did he have the sandwich ones? He had sandwiches too, and he said oh, that yeah. was a real pain in the, the refrigerated ass. ones. Yeah, so yeah. they had to go make that at a separate place, and then they go drop the sandwiches off and have to get them in. It, did, it was a lot of bit different moving parts. But he had a whole warehouse of, of machines. Uh, well, the machines were actually out on right, being sure. service, but he had a, a warehouse where every uh, kind a of a candy, fulfillment right. center yeah, yeah. where everything had to kind of go from be distributed to all these places. That's such a, a, a niche business. Yeah. And my neighbor, when I was growing up, his dad had a couple vending machines, not a lot, but enough for us to go into the garage where he lived and steal candy bars. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of candy bars. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know what's funny is I don't remember- Having the opportunity, I do like a good salty snack as yeah. much as the next guy today, <laughs> sure. but I mean, I don't remember being like, you know, covered in Kit Kats and yeah. Snickers or and anything. Chips. chips. I don't, I don't remember that, yeah. but, uh, but I'm sure that, uh, 
that it was uh, it was around me. So, Lay's sour cream and onion chips. I remember those from when I was a kid. That's a good chip. Yeah, it's a good chip. Yeah. So, all right, so you're there. You're in Indiana. Your dad's got a clothing store. What was that? Good clothing? Mediocre? I think, uh, I think they did okay, kind of uh, mid-level, you know, sports and leisure stuff. Right. I, I, how does he get sucked into the State Department? Well, he, he had his brother actually was working in Washington, and he had an opportunity to go there um and and you know he took it um this was in uh, 1975 yeah and i and i don't exactly know you know how that that came about but i know he you know he went there and um and started in one part of the state department moved to a couple of different areas but basically was was there for three we were there for about three or four years until his he got a diplomatic assignment overseas who was the president President, it in nineteen, uh, we're in Jimmy Carter years, aren't we? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. We're in Jimmy Carter years, and we are. Uh, uh, they are actually Ford. Yeah. I guess when we we were first there, and then Jimmy Carter once we went overseas. You know, those guys who work in the State Department. I had a buddy who was in it for a while. They're there for many presidents. They, they're yeah. they're there to serve the diplomatic mission in the United States. So your dad, what was his position? I'm trying to think, the whole time he was there, you know, I think it was about. Uh, it was probably ultimately about 11 years and then yeah. he retired. But he was the, um, when we went to Beirut, Lebanon, wow. he, he was working in the regional trade and development office, which was this office to help set up imports and exports from U.S. and Middle Eastern countries. So he traveled a lot, yeah. Qatar, Saudi Arabia, um, all through the Middle East. You lived in all those places? No, we were in Lebanon, but he would move, he would he would travel wow. to have to hit those spots and meetings and trying to, you know, just grease the wheel for, sure. for, uh, business. for U.S. business. So it was, uh, you know, I don't remember... How much he was away, but I remember him being away a lot. I remember I talked to another guy whose dad I think was a military guy, but was he lived in Beirut and in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's like it must it must be bizarre. I mean, do you have memories of it? I do. I remember getting there, and uh, you know the, the the prayer in the morning sure. begins. You yeah. know the the sound of yeah. that, the call. Yeah. Um and yeah, it is just upside down immediately. Yeah. I, I I felt. And originally from a few years prior to that, being from Indiana, it won't right. surprise you to hear that I was on Mars and felt completely, uh, um, you know, uh, kind of out of body. But I, I guess at some point, it, you know, the reality becomes the reality of where you are. I was only 12. Became kind of cool. And there was a there was a, a school, the American Community School there. And. Had a lot, you know, made a few friends and. And your folks were together, and your brother, you have sisters and yeah, brothers. Yeah, I have two brothers. One was in college; the other one was there with me. So that's good. Yeah, but did you get out much? Did you go into the streets? Yeah, we we did. Uh, did you eat the foods? Meet the people? We 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 did. There was no way not to meet the people and eat the foods. Yeah, that was the only option. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do remember, like. Uh, as we were there, and in a fairly short period of time, the Civil War started. So at night, you started to hear a little oh, bit man. of spotty gunfire. Right. Um, there was a little bakery downstairs uh, on the place we were temporarily living when we first got there that literally got uh, blown up. Wow. Which is a weird hit, right, on a bakery? Why, well, do, you yeah. hit a, why do you go after a bakery? Well, it, it hits people right where they live, breakfast. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe you're right. Yeah, it's scary. Um, There was, uh, you know, and there were a couple of uh, really scary situations where it just kind of started to feel like, wow, this is, you know, I was a kid, so you're not really thinking about your own mortality, but I was like, this this feels uh, real. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So, and then, so after Beirut, did you go, like, another exotic place? We went to Greece. That's nice. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Wow, that's that that's nice. an exciting childhood. Now, did you feel disjointed? Were you one of those people that you know you you made friends in a place, and then you sort of like gotta go? Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of that. You know, whenever I hear you know that they're actors, I meet actors, and they're like, you know, I you know you, you read so many stories of actors who've moved around a yeah, lot and right. kind of had to redefine themselves. Right. I, I don't know how much to where that fits into uh, my own makeup, but I definitely felt like. Things were unstable. Like I, you know, when I had when I had a footing, d- yeah. don't count on it for long because right. we're moving on. Right. Listen, we were in Greece for six years, so I should be grateful for you know that that was a pretty long run, and I still have a lot of good friends from there. But really, from Greece? Yeah. You're for, like Greek guys. Uh, mostly uh, have moved back to the States. They were Greek Americans. I have a few friends that are still in Greece. And, uh, you know, obviously it's been a really rough time there for the last few years. But I I have a few, you know, a few friends that are still there, married, families. Do you go back there? I, I took my kids there uh, two two years ago. Good food there. Oh, yeah. So after after Greece, you come back here? Uh, went to college. Uh, See, you don't seem like a guy that was like you know, like when you say that hear about other actors who you had to readjust, redefine themselves. You seem like a fairly consistent, solid guy. I do. Yeah. Am I am I misreading that? Uh, well, you, you dropped the word insecure. <laughs> I'm, well, I got to tell you, I'm thrilled to hear that. Okay. Right? All right. Why am I in good company? Of course. Come on, buddy. Of course. Give it up. I guess that, I guess that's it. I guess that's You're not I, insecure. You've got a knife on your desk. I, I, yeah, I have that there. So people, I don't know what, it's just things I collected over time and people pick them up. But no, I, I, I think that's probably why I connected immediately with you in, uh, when you were on Talk Super. You said I irritated you. That's right, because we probably had something in common. I'm like, you, you, were, you had this oh, attitude. You were seeing yourself in me. Sure, sure. That guy's overcompensating and being defensively funny. I'm familiar with that. Let's be friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got, yeah, I'm 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 game. All right, hey, do you live far away from here? I would come over after this. Okay, hang out. yeah, you're more than welcome, man. I got uh, I'm I, I'm a bachelor this week. Yeah, yeah, come on over. Family's gone. They are. Yeah, uh, that's well. I you got a big family now, huh? I do. I have three daughters. Oh, we, did you keep trying for the boy? And it just and I promise you, I didn't. It's a great question. It's a fair question, and I'm not answering it to like sound like. Oh no, no, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I, I don't know. I, I didn't want a boy. I, I would have uh, been perfectly happy with the boy. I will tell you that I come from. I have two brothers, so we were three of a kind, and right. I, and I kind of like that. So yeah. uh, the fact that we have three girls, it's good. They all hang out together. They get each other. I don't have to add the. Whole whole other composite of dealing with the the guy thing in the yeah. midst of it i only have to know how to deal with with girls which is is not easy really i bet yeah all right so you go to college well Where'd you go to college i went to college at arizona my brother did too oh did he yep university of arizona tucson is he older or younger than he's he? two years younger than me oh okay yeah he was a tennis guy yeah, he was probably there around the time i was yeah there. for sure he lives he still lives in arizona wow i like arizona i like tucson I like town. Tucson a lot too. It's my favorite part of Arizona, yeah. but uh, not this time of year. It's, it's a little Bad. hot there. It's like two hundred degrees there now. So Everything's changing. I didn't do anything show business related at Arizona, 
um, other than start as a drama major for a minute and feel like I, I can't do this. Well, where did the radio show happen? Greece. Really? They had an armed forces radio station there, and you know they they Casey Kasem, American Top sure. Four, you know they had yeah. all that, and yeah. you know they do the news on the hour, and they had a, a little one hour show called uh, called School Days, and the guy who was doing it was graduating was graduating yeah so he said uh, hey do you want to do this so i was like in 10th grade so i went and became a you know i played some music and talked about what was going on at school and that was my thing every saturday where did you have like uh any sort of mentors or heroes around that did you learn how to broadcast without saying uh and that and i mean were you focused on it was it a thing that you're like i'm good at this i got fired um <laughs> so no <laughs> <laughs> I did get fired by a Marine Admiral who I, I guess I wasn't I wasn't great with uh, being on time but yeah. uh, but in terms of doing it I I just tried to kind of um, figure it out on the on the job. I, I didn't really have uh, a mentor. I, you know, Mer Casey Kasem was at the sure. prime. Oh yeah. So American uh, Top, Top 40. Forty. Hello and welcome back to American <laughs> Top Forty. I'm Casey Kasem in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, so I I don't know. I mean, like him, my other other guys on the uh, Wolfman Jack. I don't sure. I don't know. You heard these yeah. guys. I I basically spun records and tried to just keep the show on for. 60 minutes but do you remember like liking it i remember liking it and i remember thinking uh i like the platform yeah. for it um i had done some uh some acting in school as as a kid in mm -hmm. high school and i think that stuck with me i had some really great drama teachers over there really yeah yeah miss uh, panopolis and miss gibbs and what like what like what'd you learn I, w I was pretty good at, uh, at just kind of being in the moment. Yeah. I felt like I was pretty good at listening. I felt like I had uh, I had teachers who were really intent on letting you try stuff yeah. and, you know, all the same shit sure. that happens now. Yeah. You, I felt like I was in an environment that was safe and you could uh, you could explore, and they did surprisingly good stuff. I, listen, a drama teacher, when I got to college, I didn't feel like I, I had somebody that I could really uh, connect with, but I certainly in high school, I felt that. I felt like there were more than a few people there that made a big impression on me. So when you got to college, that, that was sort of the plan. You were going to do drama. Yeah. And what happened? I just had a drama teacher come out very early on and say, you know, less than 2% of you are ever going to make a living doing this. And you That know, was the first day of class? Uh, it was something like that. Right. It may have been day two. Right. Um, but it was heavy whiskey with the water. And, and that and, sunk in? You were like, what am I doing this for? Maybe I'm not good enough or what? Yeah. I mm. think I just felt like I, I, I don't. I, I didn't know anybody really in the huh. enter. I didn't know I, the one connection to the entertainment business, but very few. You know, I know people out here. Yeah, I, I had been here one time, and the idea of coming out here and trying to make some sort of uh, uh, living at it just seemed kind of crazy. Didn't did, did, does that make sense? I mean, you know, it is totally crazy. It's it's a totally crazy uh, ambition. It's a totally crazy thing to commit your life to. Right. Uh, no doubt. I mean, I don't know what. But, to... but I mean, some people don't think that way. No, There's... you can't. <laughs> right, right. I, but I'm saying I can. You can. I can and I did. But I'm saying some people have the chip where they are literally able to just say, oh, no, I'll put that aside and I'm going to go do it. Yeah, it's called uh, active delusion, committed, nurtured right. delusion. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I think about it all the time. Like, I after you get to a certain point, like I wanted to be a comedian. That's all I thought about doing, and that's what I came out to do. And then once I got started, you know, doing it, they, there was no turning back, and there was no other option. Right. You know, when everything fell apart a decade ago, I was like, I got. The, I was like, well, I could always. Oh fuck! There's nothing there anymore. Right. There's no. I can't do it. I was scared of getting to that point. I think when I got to college, I just saw it. I was like, I was like, uh, this is what's going to happen, right. and I felt like I. I just didn't know what it took. I didn't know what I needed, and I was afraid maybe of getting to that place and and it just all falling away. And and you know, I I just didn't know what I would do at that point. Well, that's good that you had that because people come out here with no clue. I mean, there's like you like there's still this idea I think about show business where you just you go to Hollywood, right? And then what? Right. I don't know what to like. It's so heartbreaking sometimes when you see people where you just like there's no advice. You but can the, give to anybody. But the great thing is with like the internet, all I'd say is stay home. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the internet and with the ability to kind of do these things, whatever it is right, you want sure. to do, you could do it yourself. You can do it wherever I know, you want. Yeah. You don't have to dive all the way in. Not not anymore. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of find your own way and maybe make a living. But I mean, it's like there is no, there's no three networks anymore. Movies, right. you don't even know where they come out anymore. Right. So it's weird. Right. You know, it's a, I, I'm just happy to be making a living in show business. That's all. Period. Yeah. That's I'm it. with you, man. <laughs> and I, and I honestly, you know, uh, uh, so I got spooked and I, I switched to broadcast journalism and thought maybe I'd go into the news. Oh, so yeah, that makes sense. You so, know, I thought I'd go into the news. Tom so, Brokaw seemed like he was this far away from being an actor. I think you could do the news. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what was that curriculum like? Did you do like on-camera stuff? And We did. I, I had, uh, I'm trying to think. So that's was... interesting because that's close, right? So you're not going to go do, you know, uh, Odette's plays or, or uh, you know, whatever. You know, you're not going to go do the drama school thing. Yeah. But you're going to get in front of the camera. So I'm warming up to something, right? I'm yeah. at least cozying up to something you, there you, you without. Had, you were gonna be, I'm going to be on camera in something that seems more practical. It was a great cheat uh, for myself. <laughs> it really was. I tricked myself. And, uh, you know, there were guys uh, like Dan, uh, if you watch golf yeah. uh, on NBC, you'll see Dan Hicks there on uh at the U.S. Open like this weekend, and yeah. he, he Dan was at the same year I was there, and there were a few people that came out of Arizona that, um, you know, out he's of a golf commentator. Yes, he is. And but we had uh, we had the same broadcasting glasses, and right. you know, he, you know, they were just we we would do weird stuff. The teachers would have you get in front of a camera, read some copy, try some. Th- I mean, it was all wow. very strange, but you know? no, but no actual reporting. No actual reporting. So <laughs> Nothing was- of any substance, no. <laughs> we didn't cover that. That was more of a graduate program that I didn't get to, Mark. <laughs> so it's just, it was literally an on-camera major. Yeah. Did And radio too, or no? No radio. No, they, it was just uh, broadcast journalism. I, I think we did tool around. I think there was some radio classes that were also part of that, but... Uh, you know, all, all these were electives. I mean, you still had to get through the basic just stuff. You're very BA. good. You're very good at reading prompter. That's a, that's not, and not I'm, everyone can do that. I'm so good at reading prompter. It's insane how good I am. Yeah. Like, how do I not have a job reading a teleprompter right now? You could. I know, but you I'm like, go doing what? What am I going to do? I don't, you know, just, uh, I don't I'd know. I'd be better, I'd be a better actor if they put it on a teleprompter, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> I I really had that skill, uh, you know. It's so, an innate so it's like, thing. Yeah. You know, it's not like... It's. I don't think you can learn it really. I did. I did a teleprompter show at Comedy Central, and I was pretty good at it. Were you? Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it is kind of. You know, there's those moments where like, go back. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> 
But it's well, it's two things. One, you got to have the right roller. You got to have mm-hmm. the right teleprompter roller. And uh, on on TalkShip, we had a great guy, uh, Perrin Spicoli. Yeah, that wasn't really his name. That's what I'd call him on the show. We did a couple of bits like around you. I remember because I wanted to do some original comedy bits, and I had David Cross in the audience as a as a Greg Kinnear super fan. Who you know? He stood up and he took his shirt off, and he had pictures of your face on each of his boobs. <laughs> Is that true? Yes, and you know, and how I, where's the nipple fit into the Greg? Kinnear it doesn't. Face? It was just it was a weird idea. Okay, I did, and then uh, you know, I, I said, well, Greg's not here, but I'm not a bad guy, and we did one of those sort of weird montages of him and I having fun <laughs> in the studio, riding bikes and stuff. Yeah, that was the bit I did on your show. Yeah. 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 Did you like the crew and the group there? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I was nervous and uh, you know, but in my mind at that time, you know, I was doing comedy and I was obviously, you know, given the opportunity to do that and I thought that I could do it, but I didn't really, you know, it's weird cuz that was a little longer form than like a Letterman. It and, was. No, yeah. my God, we had one guest. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I had a. I still have a I have a uh, what's it called? A paperweight from my producer with the words what else question mark on it which he gave to me as a as a joke because i was always like my horror moment was like what what do we get to what are we going to do when we get to what else (laughs) talking to tori spelling or whoever and i no disrespect to tori but uh, i know what you mean yeah i mean because it it, it, you want it to be a real conversation but you do you know you have stuff to cover like i remember i david o russell was the guest and he was an hour and a half late Right. Because he was in a meeting with Steven Spielberg. So, you know, he comes in from that. Yeah. The audience has been sitting there. God, the warm-up guy, he's yeah. really good. Yeah. Working him now. Yeah. But uh, but it turned out to be interesting, I guess. I, I didn't... I, I remember Robert Loggia being... You know, cause I was excited. I'd never done it before, so it was all... I wasn't jaded at all. But you're so good at this. I would have thought... Uh, I, I would have thought 12 flawless. years old. Well, I would have thought... Uh, Easier, probably easier for you than many of the other guest hosts, and and two, you also had had experience in front of a live audience. I came off a of talk soup to go to later. I had never, I really had no, I had no live audience at all. I don't know how the hell I ended up. I thought I was going to do like Bob's show. Yeah, Bob Costas is who I took right, later right, over sure. from, and it was just two guys talking. And I'm not saying that would have been good television, yeah. but suddenly I was walking out and doing a live thing and it was it was a real adjustment for me and i was i wasn't particularly great at it i never felt like i got uh, into a a comfort zone with it oh with the with the jokes yeah yeah getting the laughs yeah yeah but that wasn't later wasn't um tom snyder's show right that it was, was it was it before was before uh Costas. Costas added, it was i kind of remember tom snyder yeah. smoking interviewing manson yeah yeah that was crazy smoking is ass off and yeah he always had that great uh great quote you know uh well at 12 uh, 30 you get your smokers and your tokers <laughs> i don't know why that's not a that's not a tom snyder i'm it's a carson that's, that is not a uh that is not that, that is not a tom snyder it's good carson that, though that, good. that is not tom where where the fuck is Tom? So you can do an impression or two. But so how did you get the gig on Talk Soup? It was that it was like a new network or something, right? Wasn't it crazy? It's funny because it was uh, kind of humiliating. I, I had before uh, before E was E. It was called Movie Time. And yeah. It was my first job, and they were it was a new channel that was going to start up, and they were going to be the MTV of movies. And we shot it over in Santa Monica. And yeah. Basically, we would run uh, EPKs and trailers and movies, and just try to fill time. And I got a job there. That's right. Build, building the show out of clips. 
Because that's all it was. That's what I did that. I did short attention span theater. There you go. Yeah. So we would we'd literally have to fill. I would do what's called a core hour and I'd go in and have to fill three hours of time with, uh, you know. With trailers. With trailers. Yeah. And, and just whatever interview right. happened to be on that tail end of a trailer. Right. And uh, it turns out that that's not very entertaining. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you you came right out of college and just came out here. I, no, not... I, I I I worked for a while for a, 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 a low budget film company uh, called Empire Pictures, and I I got a job doing marketing there uh, for Ooh. about a year. And, and really, kind of out got, here. Yeah, yep, yeah. They were located on. Uh, it's where I'm not sure if Gold's Gym is still there, but it was off of La Brea on the west side between. Hollywood and Sunset. Oh yeah, and that building was Empire Pictures, and and a guy uh, named Charlie Ban actually. What were the a, movies? I mean, what was what they do? And was it a distribution place or was it a uh, production house? Or it was a it was a production house. We Uh-oh. we made uh, we made feature length uh, emotion pictures. Did you? Uh, yeah, they made. Uh, like a lot of stuff, they made Reanimator and I think Space Sluts and the Slammer and uh, the, the the Imp. No, they were kind of like it was very kind of B level uh, right. stuff, but it was uh, but it was cool. I, sure. I actually uh, you learned the business. I learned a little bit of business, and then I got a, a, a opportunity to go audition for this movie time thing, which I took and ended up getting a job, basically filling hours of time with clips and trailers, and E came in. And fire, you know, if one day the channel came, instead of being called Movie Time, it was called E. Yep. And they changed the look and they changed the the feel and they changed all of the hosts that got fired. And uh, I went away for about a year and then came back to do, <laughs> which my, my tail between my legs to start, you know, talk soon. What'd you do for that year? Back to Empire? No, I went and uh, I sold with a friend a show at Fox uh, called the... Uh, Best of the worst. So, huh. so it was. Uh, we were looking at the worst jobs. It was kind of a reality show. Kind of right. look at the worst jobs of all time, the worst inventions, and the worst shows. So you like you, somehow you got you know, re- representation when you got out here, and you you just I mean or you you know off of the out. movie time thing. Okay. I got an agent. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Because so you got. It seems like you took to it pretty well. You were going. There was a lot of different approaches. Like you created a show. You got the sense of how the business worked at Empire. You hosted a thing. Yeah. So you kind of knew, like, all right, this is how this works. A little bit. I mean, I never felt like I had a strong handle on anything because I was kind of flopping all over the place. But, yeah, I mean, I was out here and I was kind of, you know, in the orbit of of something that was really interesting to me. So when Talk Soup starts, I mean, what what was the premise? Is that you were just going to take clips from talk shows and riff? Yeah, we were going to basically uh, look at uh, look at daytime moments, right? Um, you know, Geraldo, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, the Today Show, whatever we could get, whatever we could get for free. Yeah, and we would, That's right. uh, and we were going to just show the clip, and it wasn't, it was not intended to be a comedy show. Really? No, no, there was no expectation, no talk of that just whatsoever. Just like a recap thing, completely. Or? It was nothing wow. more than a a billboard to tell you what was the reason we got the clip free was because we would tell you what was coming on tomorrow on Jerry Springer. So it was was promotional. We got the clip free. And and very quickly after we started the show, uh, my my producer, Eileen Graham, and I were kind of looking at these clips and we were going, wow, this is... 
we, you know, this is, I, I honestly, I don't even know when the moment happened. It was unavoidable that that show became kind of this. Making fun of the clip. Yeah, a little bit of a, a you had to look at it with a, an arched eyebrow because right. there was no other way to fucking do it. I yeah. Mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> and it got more and more absurd, not by the year, yeah. by the month. Right. Yeah. And so that's what defined the show ultimately. Is like once you guys decided we got to take the piss out of this stuff. Oh, then we just went for the rafters, man. And, and it, it became like, like a big show. Yeah. And then we had like, uh, I, I remember I met Phil Hartman, who I was like, uh, I was just like, I, I honestly, I was like, great guy he's such a nice guy he's like well hi greg and he's super cool i met him at a restaurant and uh and, and he said yeah i like your show and i was like oh well if you if you i think the voice came yeah. if you ever want to come <laughs> on mr hartman yeah and he uh he said uh he said yeah yeah i'd do that that that'd be great and next thing you know phil hartman showed up he was our first one first right. kind of celebrity yeah, to come yeah. and kind of join in the fun right and we did this bit with him that was uh, honestly I was just trying to keep a straight face yeah he, he hit it out of the park he was so engaged he was so great and um yeah that was cool but that's it like that's it because I remember now like it really became this weird kind of cult thing like yeah. talk soup was because that's what happened is like guys I knew were funny guys were watching you and saying like you got to check that show and I'm like what is this uh, what is that show yeah and then like all of a sudden it became this phenomenon you know, it's funny because um, uh, no one, uh, certainly nobody at E knew that it was a hit. I mean, they didn't even know we were on the air. But it was, wasn't it? I, I, it was. We, yeah. we started to real, we started to get numbers, and and somebody would be like, "Hey, we got a we got a one this weekend," <laughs> which, by the way, today that's um, that, that is actually a hit today. Yeah. But at the time. It, for basic cable. It was a joke, yeah. but it really wasn't a joke right. for basic cable. Right. It meant something sure. because it wasn't a point one. Right. Right. And and so suddenly it was clear that, that you know that people w- were watching the show and suddenly we were uh we we I, I never really felt it. I yeah. mean I would show up, park the car, go into this building, go up, we'd record the show. And and then I'd you know go to Ralph's and get a sandwich right, you know I mean sure. I, I and I didn't really feel um, I I didn't right, there wasn't like a lot of recognition of it I didn't like people weren't like hey you you do that show so it was kind of a quiet thing but um, I think we went down to Florida and did a a special down there or that, did a that's couple where of, you do it right yeah we had, we went down to Florida we did a special down there yeah. and I was down in Florida I was like wow people really. Uh, they uh, they really see the show. <laughs> well, that's where everybody's watching TV all day. All, Florida. all day, baby. So okay, so you're becoming this like w- weird kind of host talk show star guy, and then you get the later shot. It's where the guy who took your place, John Henson, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to college with that guy. A couple years behind me. Really? Yep. Where did you go to college? Boston University. Oh, uh, yeah, Boston University. A lot of smart people out of there. I guess. I, I but I, I kind of knew him, and then you know, he, he was a comic as well. I knew he went that way. I, mean, I don't uh, think I've ever met him. Really? No, the only only one I, I met Aisha. Yeah. Who, who was Aisha at, Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I um I did it for three years. I started on January first and of uh i don't know 92 or 93 and then i i did it exactly after the third year my contract was up on december 31st yeah and it was like december 15th and i was like in to shoot the weekend edition of talk soup which was kind of going to be our year-end show and nobody had said anything and i was like i kind of went in there knowing 
this is it. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to go back at that point. Did you already get the offer from later? I, I was doing later. Oh, so I was okay. doing later. Uh, oh, wow. Kind of in the last year, yeah. I was doing talk soup. So I was do both. And I was wow, just like- that's yeah. a crazy schedule. Yeah. So you'd strip talk. No, you couldn't. You had to do each of them day to day. Had to do it day to day. That That's a weird thing about you know how you established yourself- in the minds of people and in the business. And then, you know, you go on to get an Oscar nomination. That's like, that doesn't happen much. I mean, it's rare when TV actors at that time could make the jump to features and, and really succeed of it. And, and it's like, how did that, why, well, I don't want to skip over later. I mean, how you were at later, a year and a half? Well, yeah, so I'm doing, I was doing later and, and I'm finishing up my contract at Talk Soup. Yeah. And I have had a couple of meetings with Sidney Pollack on a movie called Sabrina. He's great. I love Pollock. I love him. And so he uh, had brought me in to his office. How, how did he find me? I got a call from my agent saying Sidney Pollock wants, he would like to you to come in and and, and, and meet him about uh, this movie, Sabrina. Wow. And, and, and I was probably like November or something. I was like, oh my God. All right. Well, sure. I, yeah. Yeah. And I... I mean, I didn't. You didn't even have the internet for for me to like research Sidney Pollack and know that he's from Lafayette, Indiana, which was about you know fifteen minutes from the town I grew up in. In no Indiana. kidding, yeah. And in fact, I'm convinced that's why he brought me in because he couldn't believe somebody was from Logansport, Indiana. <laughs> so so I went in to meet him, and he was, uh, you know, I I still remember the moment he kind of called me down. I was walking the wrong way, and he goes, Greg. Yeah. Greg gave me a wave down to his office, and uh, I was sweaty palms and all. We had a conversation, and he said, uh, "He's we had it. We talked for an hour or so, and then he said, uh, and then he just picked up a piece of paper. He said, here, you know, read, read this. Read this. We're just going to do this.' And he was he's a great actor. He's Sabrina. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was able to be Sabrina. And that's yeah. how good he was. And I played the you know David Larrabee lines. And yeah, we kind of went back and forth, and. He said, okay, try it again, but don't act. Stop acting. Just, right. you know, and I was like, oh, I see. Yeah. I see. <laughs> Natural. I see. I see yeah. what he's looking for. Yeah, he's looking for that insecurity, the he, vulnerability. Yeah, that... Yes. And I think I did it again, and uh, and I just kind of a long pause, and he was like, yeah, all right. Well, listen, I don't think anything's going to come out of this, but listen, thank you for coming. <laughs> and uh, But really nice. He wasn't being right. a jerk. He just yeah. was like, I think that was kind of the test. And, and then a few months later- um, my contract, you know, as I say, the the show came up at the end of Talk Soup, and they made a play for me to stay. But I was just like, you know what? I, I felt like I had done three years of that, yeah. and I just felt like the time was a lot of gum on the wall back there. I had a lot of gum on the wall. It was just time to move <laughs> on, man. Yeah. And uh, and so I uh, I I basically left, and and then you know a couple months later. Sydney called again, went back in audition, and ended up getting that that role. Wild yeah. man, yeah. That might, like, uh, and by the way, if I had kept doing talk soup, yeah. If I had taken that, I don't think I could have done that. But you were doing later, but you could get. I could out do of later. The- they were gonna Don Olmeyer let me go do the movie. He said, "Ah, yeah, go. We'll get you a guest host or whatever, and we'll figure it out." It's late at night. It's late yeah, at night. Yeah. You're on at one thirty in the morning. Who cares? <laughs> no you one's know? gonna freak out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody's seen you anyway. <laughs> and you're nervous in that seat, man. Go have some fun. See if acting's your thing. And it was. That's. But you, so you shot for what, a couple months? We shot for about, uh, it seemed like, a, yeah, it was probably about three, three or four months. I mean, it was a big, 
Harrison Ford, you know, is at the prime. And we 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 shot in the uh, North Shore of Long Island in um, wow. Glen Cove. Yeah, and uh, we were shooting this monstrous house. And and uh, and I was living in uh, I, w- I was living in in New York and just kind of would go out there and and you were in the city then yeah and then I would come back periodically to L A to shoot various episodes of of later where we would bank them so instead of now Interviews. doing them day and date we would suddenly do a week's worth of shows in one evening sure. right you know? yeah. You just wind up the promotional, whatever they're lined up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and and so speaking to sitting down and talking to somebody for a half hour on that kind of format. Yeah. And then trying to do four of them, and trying to have the warm up guy keep the show. You know. Yeah. I mean, it was it was crazy. So uh, that's where we went to. But that, I mean, I do that too. I mean, that like I can't get people a, a lot of times. I wouldn't have gotten you if you weren't out promoting something. You know, like that's I, not true. Well, I mean, okay, but I'm just saying that I yeah. know what it's like to bank interviews. Right, of course. You know what I mean? Of course. No, it's necessary. Yeah. So, but were you, like, when you got on set, were you like, I can't fucking believe this is happening? I mean, this is Harrison Ford. And were you, like, nervous and terrified? I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to come out of the gig that you were in and then be put in that position. Yeah, I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't as nervous on the first day as I should have been uh-huh. out of sheer stupidity and just, you know, um, cockiness, cockiness, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah. No, I, I really wasn't like I felt like hey, I got this, but I did feel like, uh, you know, we had rehearsed it a lot. I'd spent some time with Harrison by that point, who was, you know, um, you know, intimidating, but, but, you know, it's okay. I don't know. Sydney made me feel like, I felt like he was there. I felt like I had Sydney there and he was like, hey, you're okay. You're, we're doing good. You know, he kind of gave me a bat, pat on the back. I love that guy. Yeah. I love him as an actor. Yeah. My gosh. Great director, but great, also a great actor. Like never, not one bad performance and maybe the greatest performance in Tootsie. I, I always great. thought. Great. You know, the so, firm. I think he took a. Did he play a role in the firm? I don't think. I don't feel like he. He did. directed it, but maybe he didn't put himself in it. But I thought he might. Have I love it. that movie. Yeah, me too. It's that's great. Have you seen the new trailer for uh, Top Gun Maverick? I just saw him trolling around the plane. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I Tom <laughs> Cruise. He's very good when he has something to focus on. If, if he's got to climb something or operate a thing, <laughs> yeah, it's the best. It's a lot of operating yeah. in that. Yeah, he's like when they go upside down. Yeah, I always remember how they look over their shoulders yeah. in, in the planes because I do that in my car. And every time I do it in my car, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like Top Gun. I'm Top Gunning it in my car. <laughs> got to look on top of you. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that thing where it's a, almost like a panic. Yeah, like, where is it? You know. <laughs> But uh, so did you when you re-enter this acting thing after like doing it basically in high school? Mm. Did you feel because I'm at this point with it myself where I'm like, I've done a few movies and I want to get better at it because mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of like you know if, if the script is tight I can you know get out of myself but I feel like I should get some some lessons or something a right. coach. Did you do that? No. All right. You just, no, you just I didn't. Went I didn't. A- I didn't. I didn't ever have. I didn't have an acting coach. I mean, I, 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 unless you consider directors acting coaches, which I do. You like you like directors who are hands on because I've talked to some directors who are like I hired the guy to do the thing. No, I'm not, gonna- I, not for me. I yeah. like I like uh, counsel and conversation, right. and uh, and I've and I had some really good guys like that to work with, and uh, and and also I feel like you know. 
um, you know, acting, particularly screen acting, yeah. is is not. It's acting, of course, right. but it's there's also a technical aspect to it. So having somebody who is you know, knows cameras and knows what's happening in that scene technically is also valuable. Oh, yeah. And Jeff Daniels told me recently, it's like, you got to know your face. Yeah. It's all in your face. By the way, I went to Hollywood Cemetery uh, Saturday night to watch Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. And <laughs> speaking of Jeff, and uh, I don't know if he likes the movie or not. How can he not like I mean, movie? he he is so committed in that thing. I mean, yeah. like when you think of his more recent work sure. and then you think this guy is is sitting there taking a squat, taking a dump on the toilet, yeah. you know, the, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's such a, a, a great performance from him. And I uh, <laughs> shout out to Jim Carrey, too. I know it's an old movie, but man, seeing it again 20 years later is incredible. We just work with the guy who directed a lot of those movies, right? Not Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. We did a lot of Jim Carrey movies, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 Tom Shadyac. Yeah. 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 I did. Huh. Not, not funny anymore. <laughs> what I did with him was, uh, he, he actually is. He's charming. He's funny. He was very you know, loose Banks. on this set. But Brian Banks is is not a, uh, Dumb and Dumber and Brian Banks do not live on the same orbit. I don't no. th- did, did he direct Dumb and Dumber? No, he didn't. That was oh. the Fairley Brothers. Oh, that's right. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, but he directed a, a couple of Jim Carrey movies. I can't remember. Well, he did what? Liar, Liar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, did yeah. Liar, Liar, and he did, uh, you're right, he did one other, maybe Pet Detective, I'm yeah, not I don't sure. Know. I don't know. But, uh, so, okay, so you, you do Sabrina, and then it just starts from there. You get at it later, and now you're a movie actor. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a, you know, I got a shot pretty early to work with uh, to work with Jim uh, Brooks and as good as it gets. So yeah, I guess at that point I was. That's what I was doing. Yeah, I mean that's what I was doing. And you had this great, uh, you know, like I've interviewed Brooks. He's great. I love him. Yeah, I know you have. Yeah, and uh, but- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Hey Jim, love you, baby. <laughs> but but that like then you're dealing with another like you know Nicholson. I mean you got this thing going. You guys have a thing. You know, in the movie, like a dynamic that has to be, I mean, I can't imagine what, what it would be like to work with that guy. Yeah, he, he was, uh, that that one scared me uh, a, a bit getting into it. But, uh, you know, I I just, uh, I, we had such a good script. That was a beautiful script. Yeah. And um, I felt like everybody had their place i felt like jim was you know really had a handle on the on on, on obviously what we were doing yeah and it's jack and so i i don't know i just felt like this <laughs> he, you know he's running the show i'm do i'll be i'm the uh i needed to just uh try to keep up and he was he was brilliant i felt like i had a front row seat to one of the great performances i'll, I'll ever see i bet yeah. and and when you get a script like that where you have to play a gay character is there some party that sort of like can i do that i felt really um connected to that character you know first time i read it i just i love simon bishop i felt like this was a um i felt for him yeah i felt for his dilemma and and what he, his search and I, uh, and, 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 and yet I got the comedy of him being faced with having to deal with this monster, yeah. uh, in, in Melvin. And, and I just love the dynamic of that friendship that grew. And, and, uh, and I just thought, man, this, if this ever were to happen, God damn, is this going to be fun? Yeah. And there's a scene like when Jack's dressing me down at the door and saying, don't knock, not on this door. 
not ever. I'm standing there. You can you can st- <laughs> see my shoulder slightly vibrating because I'm I was kind of losing it. I had like tears coming down my eyes. I was kind of laughing, and I went to Jack afterwards, and I said, "Listen, Jack, I'm really sorry. I was kind of laughing on." on that shot when they were shooting you, I, I just thought it, it just made me laugh. And yeah. he goes, that's fine. I used it, kid. <laughs> he used it. I didn't know there was any other way because this was an early movie for me. And I was like, good Lord, because I felt like he was completely, well, the camera, he didn't care where the hell the camera was. Right. All in, yeah. all the time. Yeah. So He loves it. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So in the middle of all this, you get married? Yeah, no, gosh, I got married. Actually, we just had our uh, our twentieth uh, wedding. Uh, we just had our anniversary, so it's been twenty years. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, and did you meet her on a movie? I didn't. I met my wife. She was uh, a bit of a cradle robber, young young gal uh, over here with friends. She's from England. Yeah, she's over on holiday. Yeah, and uh, and and I met her at a, at a friend's house. He was having uh, the Stanley. Uh, the uh, Kings were in the Stanley Cup the yeah. first time, so yeah. this is like way back, like twenty five years ago. Gretzky's on the team. Yeah, and uh, and I just was never that into hockey, so yeah. uh, we kind of struck up a conversation at this party, and that know, was it. That was it. Yeah, I went what? back to England, and kind of we we volleyed back and forth, but. Um. Yeah, we just. I. I, yeah, I was in. talk soup days. Yeah, I was doing talk soup. And you were struck. You were in love. I was struck, and I was in love. What's the age difference? Uh, Twenty-seven years. Really? No. Uh, six. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. six. Is nothing. Are you it's kidding nothing. me? It's six not, is the new fine. like. It's fine. I think it means she's older than me. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's that's not even. You're not cradle robbing. What no. are you talking about? Six. Well, at the time though, because I was like, I guess she was 23. I was 29. I mean, no, just well, like, it's not, okay. All right, no, take it easy. Take it easy. Be go easy on yourself. Now all we right. got to talk about like this is where the interview really takes form here. All right. Autofocus is one of the greatest, most fucked up movies ever made. Wow. Thank you. And I mean fucked up in a good way. Yeah. Now, Schrader, I'm kind of fascinated with. Mm. Like, I, you know, that guy's like, you know, I don't, I can't imagine what's going on in there. I've seen some of it. You met him? Never. But his movies. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated yeah. with him because he, he means business. These are, these are independent art movies from a very particular point of view. And that movie is just such a bizarre how did that thing take shape? I mean, it's his script, right? Uh, um, you want me to no, check? it was uh, a guy named Michael Gerbosi, uh wrote the script yeah. and brought it to Scott Alexander and Larry Karaziski, who are, are great writers themselves and yeah. producers. Right. And he was actually... he. I believe the story is he delivered uh, D- Jerry's Deli to them. Yeah. And he was their Jerry's Deli deliverer. And he one time dropped a script off with his with the Jerry's Deli sandwiches. Right. And they read it and they were like, oh, little story about Bob Crane. This is interesting. Yeah. That's kind of how the property started. Okay. And then Paul got- you know, and got a hold of it, and they, you know, brought, you know, he 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 sparked to it, and obviously, uh, you know, was the right man for that. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, he worked on it, of course, and and uh, and then by I read it, and I thought, you know, first of all, I, I read it, and I thought it was really uh, there was a a humor in it that I that jumped out at me, yeah. and I I really enjoyed the. Uh, 
I, I remember hearing about Bob Crane when I was a kid living right. overseas. I heard, yeah. yeah, you know, he was killed. I was like, what? Yeah. He's a star. Yeah. Hogan's Heroes. And, and Hogan's Heroes star. Yeah. And it was just so bizarre. And he had such an all-American thing. So I remember and hearing funny. something. He a funny, of, charming guy. Com- and that right. was one of those shows that was just in, it was always on. Right. It was in syndication right. everywhere. So when we I were grew kids, up with it. Right. And I, I just remember being really, really thrown by that, and then all of a sudden reading the script, and then meeting with Paul and talking about it, and then I read this book. Um, Paul had already got like he had tons of notes and books and like archives of Bob's like you know sex picture yeah. collection, right? And uh, you know he he took me into this world very quickly, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is crazy." And uh, but I liked the script; we had a good script. And uh, and then I remember Paul calling me and saying, uh, "Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get uh, Willem Dafoe to play uh, Carpy." And I was like, "Oh, please, <laughs> if there is a God." Yeah. And uh, turns out there is because uh, yeah, Willem was so great in that, and we had. Uh, we had a great time making it, and and uh, yeah, it's it is a bizarre fucked up movie. It's so I mean, like dark, the scene because the humor, like I, it's weird because I don't remember the humor so much. But if I think that scene where the two of you are just looking at old tapes, jerking off on both sides of the couch, yeah. uh, and just talking, like yeah. remember that one? I was like, oh man, that is dark. I it, mean, it, I guess, I guess. Listen, it's a fine line, and you, I, I get it. I get it that you no, can, you funny. can watch it. No, no, no. But you can I say like, it. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I didn't see any comedy. I've had plenty of people say that. I'm just telling you from my standpoint. It struck me many of those scenes had a through line that made I don't know it well, made me I, laugh recounting it, it is hilarious like if you yeah. say like you guys are just having a casual conversation while you're jerking off on opposite ends <laughs> of the couch it's funny I, I can see how it's funny yeah and but I guess because of the compulsive sexual addiction and the weird relationship you two guys had or he, he had with you and this weird focus on equipment it was just uh, you know the, whatever Paul brought to it it was definitely the, if the comedy was there it was deep dark comedy well and I don't think that that's not why Paul was in it uh, that maybe have been what I saw yeah. and then suddenly I'm at like a swingers party and yeah. I'm being asked to take my clothes off and I'm like holy shit uh, maybe this isn't so funny. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was like, I think there were a couple of different currents working while we were making it, both a, a deeply uh, troubling dramatic current and also maybe maybe some sort of comedy thread. But but subsequently, I think the end result is is unusual and, and it, it does have a, a tone to it that is um, its own. Yeah. I think it sort of dealt with the nature of like sex addiction before it was a thing. Totally, you know, I mean, this is before the internet for yeah. sure. So, I mean, good God, I mean, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, Bob, or you know, would have been today. He would have been, yeah, but, just a guy, right? Exactly. But, but yeah, because it's so accessible. But, but what they had to go through to get what they needed, right? Was and then you know not really address whatever the hell Defoe's problem was, right? It was just like, it, and what did you notice? Because I imagine by that point you've worked with a lot of directors. I mean, what was Paul Schrader like? How did he strike you? Did he did, and how did he handle you? Uh, I thought he 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 handled it very well. Uh, he he basically had every scene uh, 
Um, you know, we, we'd show up. He had the thing set up uh, yeah. the way you'd expect it to be. He was very straightforward. I don't, I mean, there wasn't, you know, he'd say, try this, try that. I don't right. remember anything particular about it. I think most of the work for that had been done before we got there. And I mean work. I mean, like, w- w- one, there were weird problems. Like, there's a there's a swimming pool party and all of the girls uh he remember he said like many of the girls were showing up that they were using and they had were shaved right and oh, right. they had to, so we had a merkin box yeah. that had to that was the first time a movie needed that <laughs> and uh and and then there was um there was a swingers party where paul had actually gone on to i think like um the back of what was the L.A. – is it L.A. – no, not the – what was the L.A. magazine here? L.A. Weekly? Yeah, L.A. Weekly. Yeah. And he had recruited a number of swingers. Right. So when Willem and I walk into the swinger party, it's a real swingers party. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so so the work had been done uh, to make – give it an authenticity before we ever got there. Swingers that. parties are not glamorous. No, it's, <laughs> this is – that's – you. I learned that very quickly. <laughs> no, no, no. It's It's really not – how did uh, Little Miss Sunshine happen? That was a script that was floating around for like a year, and I was given it by a, a friend. A, uh, David Friendly had handed it to me and yeah. said, "Hey, listen, this is something you you should you should do." And uh, and I I read it and I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, John and Val were were. In, the directors, into, yeah, they were into me doing it, and I met with them, and I had a great meeting with them, and then it just wasn't happening. They didn't have the money for it, so it kind of went away. And they were so bummed because they had this girl Abigail who kept getting older; <laughs> she was going to age out of the yeah. role. And uh, so it floated around for like a, a year, year and a half, and then I got the call that uh, you know it was they back got the on, money. and they got the money. The producer. Actually, one of the uh, other producers just literally, who's a, a wealthy guy, just wrote a check for $7 million and said, we're going to make this and uh, took a big risk. And and uh, so we we started, uh, you know, rehearsals a couple months later. They had a great rehearsal process. Um, what do you mean? How so? How was it different? Well, they just brought all of us down to like this uh, big warehouse and they I remember playing dodgeball with uh, you know Corral we had you know Steve and Alan and Abigail Tony the whole gang and all six of us just were in this thing and first we read through a script and then they were like okay let's play dodgeball <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> but it got everyone together me. yeah yeah and then we do uh, we did a few lunches and then they they had the van so they would be like, "Why don't you guys go? Uh, why don't you guys go bowling, Greg? You know, you drive, and everybody goes bowling." And yeah. So we went bowling and took yeah. the van, and it's. I've heard um, other people on your show talk about. I think it was maybe Steve and Dorf or somebody was talking about like a rehearsal for something, and it was like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I you you don't. This rehearsal thing just yeah. doesn't happen as right. much anymore, right. And, it, right. and it really was a great gift for that movie. And I, and I tell you, it wouldn't have been the same movie without having a, a good week or two of doing what it is we were doing. So um, I'm, I, I, uh, I, I'm, it's a shame that it doesn't happen more often. Because you get to know everybody and you get your characters kind of in reaction with the other people as opposed to just showing up on set. Yeah. 
I yeah. remember I talked to Shalhoub and he he did a movie with Denzel and something happened where he he got there on the first day of shooting and had to step into the 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 biggest part of his the biggest you know the most lines he had in the whole script was day one he'd gotten there that morning it was with Denzel and you just got to go right and it's a lot better if you got some time it is it is uh, it's infinitely better and i guess you're right and it's a stupid observation to make hey rehearsals good actors uh, <laughs> but i swear i find they it amazing that it's this is the not the norm that right. this is the but i guess you know money and budgets and stuff and with a movie like that you didn't know what was going to happen with that movie no no we didn't we just well I, everybody you know i the truth is when i when I, the script i liked the script yeah thought it was funny yeah it wasn't until I got into that rehearsal until I sat there and we started reading this with these actors and I was like, Oh, there's this this is something special. Right, right. And and then we uh you know, I mean certainly once we got shooting, I was like, Okay, something's good here. Right. <laughs> Alan Arkin. Yeah. Alan was Alan was so wonderful. He's and, so good. Uh, God damn. And just the scene, I remember us all sitting around actually after Alan dies oh, yeah. where we have to take his body and get it out of that hospital room <laughs> right. yeah. and get it out to the car. All of yeah. us sitting around the monitor and just like loving that moment and just because it was all very real and normal. It was just right. like it was no we didn't do like a there wasn't like any tricks to it. It was just it was a really heavy body. It wasn't actually a body, but right. I mean it weighed a hundred. They made sure that that thing weighed a hundred and you know right. sixty pounds. Yeah, and it was just me and I think Paul Dano sliding it out the window to Tony and Steve. Right, and the things. I mean, it's just priceless. <laughs> Man, yeah. so like um, it seemed to work constantly. Do what? How do you judge what you're going to take? Uh, I, I don't know. I always feel like it's a lot of different factors. You know, who 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 would I get to work with, and mm -hmm. you know, what is it, and how does it fit into you know, m you know, my my life to some yeah. degree. Um, but you know, mostly it's I I I, I you know I mean obviously you you have to be connected to something and then that's uh that script or right. or somebody who's going to be making the thing is telling you you know something where you're like oh oh i see i see what this can be and it's never entirely clear to me so i i always find that a bit of a learning process so what's going to happen with this brian banks movie does it release in the theaters or is it on netflix what is it it's on it's in theaters uh it's in theaters now no it'll be yeah. in theaters august 9th it's i know it's a few uh 1500 2000 screens which yeah, is you know lot. listen it's risky it's it's bleaker street who's who's doing it but i think it's a really cool film um and and i think it's you know, I I guess I always feel like, hey, it's got a chance. Right. <laughs> I am a little optimistic that way, uh, but but who, who knows? I mean, I feel like the the you know the movie business in the last couple of years, as I know you'll be surprised to hear this, Mark, is changing. <laughs> no, um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie business is changing, and I, by the way, I want no idea. Uh, yeah, I'll fill you in on the details Thanks, later, man. Um, but I, I so I don't really know what to expect from it, other than. It's a it's a hell of a story. I think it's well told. Aldous Hodge is is fantastic in it, um, and uh, and and you know I play Justin Brooks, who's a, real guy, real life guy, who's an incredible, 
incredible dude. It's called the, what is his foundation? Is it California in- Innocence Project, right. CIP, which uh, he operates from, you know, his tenured classroom down at Western uh, California School of Law in San Diego, along with his law students. And they've exonerated, um, and I'm not talking about people who are in jail for some sort of, you know, bullshit technicality. I mean, he is, they have flat out exonerated innocent people. Um, uh, uh, I think 35 wow. people who have had who have who have been in prison for as as long as you know 30 years to as as short as just 15. Right. Um, I guess and, the advent of DNA stuff has really helped. That's that. been a game changer, yeah. and and it's not just California. There's you know the Innocence Project does exist around the country, but this the, his organization I do have to cite it as as one that I find. Uh, to be the real deal. Justin is uh, never taken a dime. He's never taken a, a dime for his work for this thing. It, it's all just, you know, pro bono. He goes and and these events that he does where, you know, they'll bring a few people from from that they've exonerated and try and raise some money. And uh, um, Brian Banks was a football player, had been wrongly accused of, of uh of an incident and of a crime, and and basically uh, Justin ended up along with his students of, of taking the case and trying to help him out. They resisted at first because it wasn't the type of case that they would generally. Well, he, he, Brian was an incredible football player who had an incredible football yeah. career ahead of him. He had been ID'd by Pete Carroll, who was now at the Seahawks, but he was in high school, and when he. He, he went away for six years, seven, accused of seven years, accused of rape. Um, he comes out and uh, after, you know, just a shell shocking amount of time. I mean, he took a plea bargain. Right. Where was the bargain? Um, he gets seven years. He, he comes out and now he's got an ankle bracelet and he's on parole. He can't go near a field. He can't pick up his football career again because he's a registered sex offender. And... Uh, so he makes the plea, listen, I still am in jail. And right. he makes a convincing case, first to the law students and then Justin, you know, who's not doing it to be a prick, but he's just, you know, that you- Didn't see the case. You don't, I don't have a case yeah. here. And, and you have to have something remarkable to yeah. kind of, and and much to Brian's credit, and he's a remarkable guy, um, you know, listen, he fought and, you know, it was such a, re- so nice to have both Brian and Justin on the set for yeah. the making of this movie. and. Um, and, and those guys, you know, watch this like a hawk and that, you know, you could, you had a non, you know, a never ending, uh, surplus of facts and details that you could sequence at any given moment. And how, now when you have to play a real guy, in, in this case, he's still alive. How much time do you spend with him? Yeah, you know, I first went down to San Diego and just kind of sat in the back of his law class oh, okay. and uh, just kind of watched him doing his thing down there for for a few days. And uh, he was he was very accessible, very generous. Um, you know, he's become a friend, and and uh, um, and then so I guess that was incredibly valuable just to have the access to sure. him. And and you're right. I mean, he's. He's alive, so you know the internet's great. You can watch clips of but anybody. But did you feel now. yourself? Did you feel like you know, like I got to do an impression of this guy? No. Or just pick up the no, vibe. No, no, I didn't, and I, I wouldn't know how. I mean, right. there, there is a, there's a funny kind of, kind of a California. Uh, uh, he's not from California, um, but there is kind of a Californian vibe to him yeah. that uh, 
I thought I was trying to kind of wedge in on, but I, ultimately I felt like, look, this is all a distraction. I want to tell this story, this guy, and right. and I, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't feel like there was and anything it, to try to copy, and nobody knows who that's Justin right. No is. One, that's right. Yeah, I do, Justin, and I love you. Right, but, but no one's going to like. <laughs> he didn't get him. He, he's right, not, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just did a, a independent movie where I had to play this music publicist who spends a lot of time with a young David Bowie, and this is a real guy. But like, apparently, he's not healthy enough. I couldn't meet him or anything. But ultimately. No one's gonna call me like you're not really like Ron Oberman, right? Like, the two guys right. that know Ron or his handful of friends. So did you just throw your hands up, or did you feel an obligation? Do you do you feel like as you were doing it, gee, am I, is this okay that I'm not doing that? I'm not following. His? Well, we wanted to get the look right. So like when I showed up on set and they had it was in the 70s. It's yeah, a very weird little movie that takes place over about four weeks of David Bowie's life in 1971 before he's really David Bowie. Right, and I play this guy who works for the label, doesn't have a lot of money, has to you know get him you know into radio shows and stuff. He doesn't have the right papers to do performances, so it becomes this weird, odd couple buddy movie. Yeah. But I got there, and we wanted to get the look right, low sure, budget. Sure, sure. And he had these very specific glasses from the 70s, like these horn rims, and he's got long hair. I had the wig and everything, and I'd shaved my face. And they, they, you know, they show up, and there's like, well, these Warby Parker glasses are pretty close. I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> It's the one thing. <laughs> That's the one thing you can't you know, right, do. You gotta, I got to have the, you know, it, it really was like, it fucked with me. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to believe this. Right, right. If these are on my face. Right. And somehow or another director went out that day in Canada and found some vintage 70s glasses. Wow. And we had, he had to wear the, the, the contact lens to make his eye like Bowie's. Yeah. So we had an optometrist on set doing that who had her own shop and she was able to, get my lenses ah. into the 70s glasses right. in a day because right. they weren't going to be able to do no, that. No, of course not. And it just fucking worked out. Yeah. But it, it was like that. Like I didn't like I couldn't really honor who the guy was exactly, but at least I could do is look the period and have the glasses, you know, close. Yeah, and I guess with Justin I felt like just the the amount of time we hung and just kind of getting to know him, I felt like, you know, I felt like that was it. I felt like that, that that's okay. I, and there's no, by the way, there's no particular, he has a thicker hairline than mine, right. which we did. Uh, but I, um, but I mean, I, I don't, there wasn't any particular distinguishing thing that I had to follow. So um, it's all, you know, it, it, it's all uh, job by job. But it, it comes down to the page, right? Like, that's one thing I'm learning. And I, I just like in terms of acting uh, advice or like what is that, you know, if you have a character, whether it's real or not, you, it, it's in the script. Right. Right. I mean, like, it's weird because you always sort of like, what am I going to, what's this guy think? It's like, it's it's like, it's there. It better be. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. and like, I, like, I'm just learning about that stuff, but the, the answers are usually there. I agree. And like, uh, and the, the screenwriters that are able the, to really craft that and really right. make it come alive and jump out at you. Yeah. Oh, we need more of those guys yeah. because it, it's- uh, And gals. And gals. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I use the term- I use guys it? all the time. Um, but, but, I mean, I just, it, it really- you, We need that because that that is, um, you know, that's what pulls you in, man. Yeah. It's the, it's the trick of it. I mean, that's the, the art of it. Yeah. I mean, I just- The reason I threw uh, gals in, I just talked to Gina Davis about this. 
horrendous imbalance of equal representation right. on all on all you know and it just completely like, with data and i'm like holy fuck right we gotta fix <laughs> You're this like, right you right <laughs> i need sounds to me like greg needs to spend a little time with gina davis <laughs> i'm going to the gina davis room for you a while no i i uh i i definitely uh i was as a daughter as a father of three daughters i i i uh, that must me. be wild. I mean, that must be something to deal with three daughters, like growing up. I, what are their ages? Uh, they're 15, 12, and 9. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What are your big fears for them, like in, you know, Well, in you know, just, I literally was talking to a friend yesterday who uh, is, his daughter is uh, engaged, yeah. or they're talking about getting engaged. Yeah. His first daughter's married and happily and da 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 and and uh, and the wife and him they just don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that one jumped. That stuck with me a little bit. Right. Um, but I uh, my my fears are that you know, like any other father, you know, you just feel like I'm I'm not doing something right or I'm I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm short. Or I'm not teaching some lesson or I'm I'm, you know, not being as present as I need to be. Right. It's, it's just all my own personal failure. And they've kind of become their own people though. Like I that's one thing I've learned. I'm I'm not unhappy I don't have kids. I'm it's probably better off for everybody. But uh <laughs> but but you know, it's like it really seems that after a certain point they just become people. They're their own people. That's right. And all of a sudden the terms change. Right. You know, in a way. Yeah, but you don't feel that way. Mm. You you yeah, that's true. I think that is true. Intellectually I can I'm down with you on that. Right. But I also know emotionally I'm kinda like, No, you're my people. <laughs> <laughs> you're all three of my people. <laughs> right. And that's good so, though. You know, yeah. that instinct stays there. You can't just be like, All right, you're good. Yeah. Take care. <laughs> I got hey you're nine yeah. you're nine dude you're, you're, you're your own person you're all set <laughs> let me know if you need it I gave you everything you need yeah, down the hall <laughs> it was great talking to you man thanks for yeah, doing it yeah thanks Mark it's a pleasure that was Greg Kinnear and uh, the movie is Brian Banks it opens nationwide tomorrow August 9th now whether you believe in God or not think about the logic of this God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If you're out there suffering, there's help available, there's help on the way, if you're willing to get it. Thank you for my 20 years. I'll play guitar for you now.
Boomer lives. <laughs>